Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? This is the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'm going to be your host today. On the show today, we are going to answer your questions. So I put out a request, uh, it was probably close to about a month ago, and I wanted to do a listener Q&A where you send me your questions automotive diagnostic related, and then we would answer them on an episode of the podcast. And that is today. Of course, I assembled some brain power to help me with this because I wanted to make sure that these questions were answered correctly and thoroughly. And uh, I definitely have that with me today. Um, On the show today, joining me is going to be Matt Fonslow, who's been on the show many times before, um, back by popular demand, Chris Groff, and uh, new to the show, but extremely happy to have him join us today, is Scott Shotton. And if you're not familiar with Scott, he is a automotive trainer. Uh, he's taught for an automotive uh, community college, um, and he also does mobile diagnostics and programming. He actually has a website uh, called the Drivability Guys, and I will put a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. Um, anyways, all three of these guys are really, really smart and uh, really excited to get to sit down and basically just ask them these questions and I'll pop in with a little bit of input here and there. Uh, but this is really about, uh, them helping me out with this, which is, is really cool. I really enjoyed the talk. Uh, so here's the deal. A couple things. Uh, this one went pretty long. As you can imagine, uh, we've got a lot of input here on each of these questions. And so I'm actually going to break this episode into two parts and I'm going to release the first one today. On Friday and the second part, which was really more just discussion than answering questions, um, that will be released on Monday. The other thing is I received a ton of questions from the listeners and I just wasn't able to get to all of them in this episode. So if you don't hear your question answered today, uh, don't worry. I'm going to try to get to it in another episode, uh, whether we reconvene uh, with the same group or a different group or heck, I might even uh, try to hit some of them myself. Um, I, I will get to all of them. Uh, as I'm able. But um, as you'll find out, we go into pretty good depth to answer each one of these questions. But this is going to be part one of the listener q and I'm really excited. Let's get into it. Uh, so how, how's everybody doing tonight? Chris is on mute. So oh, sign language. Yeah, that, that would probably help, huh? Wouldn't it? There we go. There we now go. we can hear you. <laughs> You've been so quiet up until now. <laughs> uncharacteristic yeah it's all mute yeah uh so 
I'm doing good just finishing up work here, so. Maybe we should uh, go around, uh, just do quick introductions. I think everybody knows each other, but maybe not. And then the listeners uh, get an idea who we've got going here for this uh, Q&A. Um, well, uh, Matt, I guess if you want to start, everybody knows you, so. <laughs> I'm Matt. There you go. <laughs> everybody knows me. And, and uh, I, hate, I, hate to, I hate to follow suit, but I'm Scott. I work on cars. and i'm chris and i work on things and sometimes i even fix them if i'm lucky (laughs) chris has got a background of a library that i thought was a zoom background but it's actually his library and it's all books he's read cover to cover i was i I was wondering that (laughs) actually i wish except off to the i guess my left here it's nothing but wine glasses and all and i'm not that classy (laughs) <laughs> i mean i drink bourbon out of a wally moose glass most days <laughs> well we got we got a lot of brain power here uh which which i'm happy about uh because i i can just i'll just sit back and ask questions here which is gonna be um, uh scott's camera is not working i think my earbuds aren't working i thought i heard something about brain power but <laughs> check uh-huh. check I I appreciate you guys uh, joining in with me on this to to answer some questions. I, I put it out to the listening audience a few weeks ago to get some questions, and I got a whole bunch. And honestly, most of them were biased towards network questions, um, which I guess makes sense. Oh, hey, there's Scott. Yeah, <laughs> we got it. Figure it out. <laughs> um. Most of the questions were biased toward networks, so I thought we would just sort of uh, focus on that. And, and it makes sense. I know the shops I go to, a lot of times I'll get calls, and it's almost the point sometimes where the guys will get into a network problem or they see a U code and they don't even attempt anything. They just, okay, let's send it somewhere else or call somebody, or yeah, I don't know what are the other the other options are, but I think a lot of technicians do. Uh, have some fear going into <laughs> figuring out network communication problems. So we'll focus in on those questions and uh, see where this goes. All right. Sounds good. So we starting, uh, starting with number one and working our way down then. Um, so I, I kind of reordered the list of the all questions, right. but um, we'll just do all the network ones and then we'll kind of see where, where it ends up. But I have a feeling that'll, uh, probably probably take up a decent amount of time just to get through those. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll start out with number one, uh, which is uh, about breakout boxes. And this listener was asking about what brand of breakout box we would recommend. And he did make a suggestion, which was the Go Diag GT100. Um, that's a particular breakout box. I guess it has a memory saver function. Um, he's wondering, you know, do these work on every vehicle and is there any potential to damage modules, which that gets into the specific breakout box, but maybe we can just start with defining what a breakout box is in case someone doesn't know. And then we can talk about brands. Yeah. I think we're assuming it's, a. Uh... DLC breakout box specifically OBD2. Yes. 
So and that the, is it's. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Uh, so the Go Diag, uh, I actually just looked into it. Uh, primarily, I do run the AAS Wave Smart Bob. Uh, I've got mine set up with the isolation switches and the voltmeter readout. Uh, the Go Diag is a OBD2 breakout box. Um, it's actually kind of got a few extra goodies depending on who you buy it from. That's really set up, makes it a nice setup for bench programming. Uh, bench programming modules, things along those lines. Uh, they're 99 to 150 bucks. Um, I actually just ordered one about a week ago. I'm waiting for mine to come in, so I'm not super familiar with all the functions on it. But just like uh, most breakout boxes, it's got uh, power LEDs, ground LEDs, network comm line LEDs that flash when you got stuff going on. So, Yeah, I have a couple of AES Wave. Trust. I don't necessarily yeah. trust the LEDs for communication. I saw mm -hmm. your finger go up, right? Um, yeah. I, I personally have three of the AES Wave ones. Um and I forget the actual part number. It doesn't, doesn't really matter um, because when I get into any network issue, I'm plugging that guy in and I'm going in to test. I'm, I'm not going to trust the LEDs. So uh, I can't say that the bells and whistles of, of the breakout boxes are a benefit. I just like the ability to connect to the data link connector and have a great place to test without damaging the connector or pin tension or anything of, of that nature. So brand wise, um, I, I'm not that specific about it and the bells and whistles, I'm not that specific about it. Um, I just so happen to have three of the AS wave ones um, and I use them all the freaking time. Whenever I have a, a network issue and I'm gonna connect the data link connector for anything with a scope, or even a voltmeter or ohmmeter, okay, which is rare for me. But if I do that, it's through that through that box, through one of those boxes. So I guess I, it doesn't really matter which one you use. I think for the diagnostic purposes, the bells and whistles. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I have AES Wave um, Line Spice or Smart Breakout Box. Same reason. I think the the maybe what we skipped over is. The reason you would want one is so you're not probing the front of the DLC and potentially spreading the pins. Agreed. Or the, or the terminals, it wouldn't be technically pins, but <clears throat> spreading the terminals. Uh, once in a while, you'll get one in where you can tell somebody's been digging in there with like, you know, the power probe uh, mm -hmm. hook or something. Like, I don't know, maybe a, the biggest Spe pick they could find or <laughs> a, a test light, they just jam that thing right in there to, um, Especially if you're in a missions test area where no communication <laughs> is going to cause a emissions failure and the car could work perfectly fine. But if you spread those terminals at 6 and 14, yeah, you're going to fail the emissions test. So, right? yep, it'll, you don't have to probe the front, you know, because some car lines back probing the DLC is rough. You know, some are wide mm -hmm. open. You could do that if you wanted, but now you're talking about something you plug it in, boom, now you have access to all 16 pins. You can hook up meters, scopes, um, or uh, certain functions on cars. Like, uh, you know, Toyota comes to mind where you're jumping pins to do something with the immobilizer. 
system. Mm-hmm. It, it comes in really handy. <clears throat> and then Chris made a really good um, point about bench programming, uh, whether whatever the scenario may be, maybe you're having problems programming a module on the car. You could try to disable the you know network or whatever mm-hmm. in such a way that you can focus on that module or if it's easy to get to pop the module out, power ground on the bench, use your uh, breakout box here connected to a scan tool and the jumper wires for CAN or, or whatever the network's going to be um, to to program that module specifically. And um, I've heard of the one you're talking about, and it sounds like it lends itself very well to that. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, personally, my go-to one is the SmartPod from AES. Uh, I've got a couple I built myself, J1939 ones, uh, automotive can. But um, the AES Wave one, I know everybody likes the small Bluetooth VCIs now. One, they're very expensive. Two, they're very easy to leave behind. (laughs) Um, A lot of people are putting tethers on them or they're running extension cables anyway. So honestly, I just made it a point. My VCIs go right onto my breakout box. Breakout box goes in, and I mean, right off the bat, I get a voltage reading on the battery. Um, I've got easy access to all 16 pins in my VCI somewhere where I'm not going to forget it. It's one of the reasons I like it. The other thing is sometimes you're testing and you're under a dashboard, you don't have a good ground or you don't have an easy to access power source. You plug that banana plug right in there, and you've got good power, good ground. I mean, it, it's. It's the multi-tool. To me, it's, I have, in the past two years since I bought my first one, I don't think I've touched a single car without having my breakout box hooked up. I may not use it every time, but the functionality is there. I can do a lot of, a lot of different stuff with that. So it's, it's become one of my go-to tools, regardless of whether or not it's a network comms. And as uh, Scott said earlier, don't, don't trust the LEDs. The flash, you, you can actually have quite a wide voltage spread. And, uh, I mean, you could have a, we'll say, two-and-a-half to three-volt switch, and depending on the breakout box, you'll get flashing lights. So it, it's nice to see it. It's a visual, you know, if it goes dead, something like that. But you know, you know, the, There's, there's a lot of ways to use that tool as well. So, for example, let's pretend pin 16 didn't have power to it and your scan tool relies on power from pin 16 to mm-hmm. power up or work the Bluetooth device or whatever the case. If you want to communicate with modules on the vehicle and you want to do this quick, right? You, you, you know you're going to have to find why is there no power at pin 16. You can jump right. a power to pin 16 on that breakout box. Mm-hmm. Get your scan tool to communicate. Scan all the modules. Do a full module scan while you're looking at wiring diagrams to figure out why is there no power. You, you can jump a power in and make it work, and it makes it an easy way to do it without damaging the connector, without pinning into a wire or whatever the case. So, yeah, my, my breakout box it is in a drawer mm-hmm. in my truck, and it has, you know, jumper wires with it for that, for that same reason. We can't, we can't power up a scan tool, no power, I'm jumping power in, starting my scan tool and I'm looking at wiring diagrams. So again, there's, there's many uses for that tool that that's almost as valuable as a scan tool. in, in my opinion, uh, the DLC breakout box. 
Yeah, especially if it saves you from losing a VCI, which uh, I'm pretty good at leaving those behind. So I think I'm going to use that method from now on. Um, The one thing I would note on the breakout boxes, if you're wanting to connect directly to a particular network, and we'll probably get more into this as we go, um, you just need to be aware if the vehicle has a diagnostic CAN network where your DLC isn't necessarily hardwired into the vehicle's networks or the network you're after in particular. Mm-hmm. And as long as you have a diagram and understanding of the system, that's not a big deal. You can still use the breakout box. It just it might have less function on that particular vehicle. Chrysler's a lot of them come yeah, okay. to mind so- where... So your your suggestion then, or your your statement refers to well, we can pick on slightly older Chryslers, where we've got a diagnostic can C that is just two wires going to the FCM or the you know whatever whatever gateway module it is, okay, that five characters long or whatever the case, and then it splits into can B and can C or IHS or or whatever the case. Right, you're only scoping at the data link connector, um, diagnostic can see in that case, correct? Yeah, right? yeah. So, so you're only seeing communication between the tool and the gateway module. Right. So that would be one of the not the fault of the tool, but the the fault of the design of the vehicle. And again, wiring diagrams is where we figure that out because you may have to, you know, tap in somewhere to get to diagnostic can be, um, or not diagnostic can be, can be on that particular Chrysler, you, it's not at the DLC. So you're gonna have to be intrusive. You're gonna have to get it at a module or something of that nature, right? right. I agree. I think that's some really good advice on a, on a breakout box. I think everybody should go, buy, um, go out and buy one now. <laughs> yeah. One thing I will add is I saw he said uh, it does have a memory saver function built into the Go Diag. Um, oh, sure. I would imagine, and just from reading through it quickly, it was um, it's a Chinese company, from what I'm assuming, in the translation of their little sales spiel on it. Uh, as far as I'm aware, it does not actually have a backup battery built into the Bob. Uh, basically, they're saying to do very much like we were saying take a battery, jumper that into your DLC, mm-hmm. your breakout box, and use that. Um, and as far as that goes, I, I mean, I use a separate memory saver. I don't know what you guys do. Yep. Uh, I've got the OTC one and then um, one from Easy Red, which is it's the same as the OTC. It's a clone. Yep. So I, I, wouldn't, I definitely would not make a decision on a breakout box based strictly off of a memory saver function. You can do the same thing with anything. Um, and in all honesty, for the most part, a $40 one performs you know, generally the same as a $75 one. What I look for is warranty, overall component quality, and you go from there. You, know, you make an informed decision. The breakout box is not going to make you a master network diagnostician. It's a tool to help you, but you know, you could drop $400 on a breakout box. It's not going to make you better at what you do. I know some people don't want to hear that, but. Okay with that. Mm -hmm. I just, I just heard I spent $400 for nothing. So (laughs) (laughs) I haven't yet. I was tempted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cheapskate. Uh, 
And it does does the tool do what I need it to do? And do I need? I know I see you waving your hands there. <laughs> do I need a little voltage display? No, that's what I have voltmeters and scopes for. Okay, so I guess I'm not a cheapskate because I own a bunch of scopes and so forth. But the point is, if my breakout box does what it has to do, that's what I need, right? The memory savers, voltage things, LEDs. I honestly, I don't care. If I got that connected to the car, I already have a scan tool connected, and I'm probably getting close to plugging in a scope. So the LEDs and the little displays and the memory saver, my opinion, um, don't, don't matter as much to me as, as access to the wires without damaging the, the connectors. That's, that, to me, that's give me a plain old breakout box, DLC breakout box, and I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, I think the one uh, the one note on that particular model they did mention that would be above and beyond some of the other ones I've seen is that bench module flashing option because it has the connection on the one side for the DLC, but then it also has another plug-in where it's got like a, a pin-out and you can actually pin specific pins on a module. Now, if you don't do that ever, that's not useful to you. Don't, don't spend the extra yeah. money, but... If you're planning on doing that and for whatever reason, you know, you're doing bench flashing at home or, or you plan on getting into that, then it might be a pretty useful tool that you could, uh, you know, utilize it in other ways, I think. Yeah, and this, and this group, the four of us in this room right now, that, that makes a lot of sense to us. Uh, but I, the majority of technicians aren't really thinking about bench flashing. Okay, and I'll be completely right. honest. I have made bench flashing tools from old breakout boxes and old. I even went to the junkyard one day and pulled a couple of modules out of cars and cut the harnesses off just so I could program modules on the bench to try it. Right, and then how practical is it in in the real world? Right, so the the frequency of us doing bench programming especially on cars nowadays is infrequent. So it's going to be one, one of the, one of the guys or gals that are, you know, dealing with the crazy oddball issues for your general technician that they probably shouldn't even worry about uh, bench programming. I mean, I remember I when, the fair parts, to say. When, the, when the parts stores were talking about, Oh, we can pre-program this module. You know, okay, fine, pre-program it. And then when you plug it into that Chrysler, it still doesn't start because you still have to program the keys. So what is the point of pre-programming it anyway? And I'm talking about like 1998, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's freaking old. So, you know, today, no, I, 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 tr I will if I have to, to solve a crazy issue. No, get get the car, get the module, program it on the car. That's my opinion, right? But the tools available, the breakout box can make that work. But yeah, you better know what you're doing before you go go that route. And there's plenty of resources to learn that stuff. But yeah, your average tech probably not going that way. Do you guys agree or disagree? Sorry, I got my soapbox there for a minute. <laughs> no. I, I think that's fair to say. 
Yeah, it's um, I consider bench programming no different than uh, EE prom work, some types of key work. Um, it's there's a time and place for it. There are people who are doing it daily because that's what they've come to specialize in. And there's people who aren't. And it's like anything else. Yeah, you can go out and such and such told you to get it and you get it. You never use it. You really need to. I'm not even going to say a general tech because I, I don't want to say one way or the other. I'm saying you just need to look at what you're actually doing. If you've never yanked a module out of a network to program it, don't be worried about that stuff. When the day comes that you run into that situation, then you can think about it. But yeah, for the most part, we like to uh, overgear ourselves at times and, you know, wind up having a lot of stuff collecting dust at the bottom of the toolbox that we could have saved money on and used towards training or something else. I've never bought a tool just because I thought it was cool. Uh, (laughs) I got a guy you should meet. (laughs) It seems to be like the only tools I buy. (laughs) Functionality, who cares? This is cool. All right, should we uh, move on to number two here? I think we covered that one. Oh, that pretty was well. only number one. We only made it. <laughs> yeah, <so> right. <laughs> this is just part one. We got to come back for ten parts. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the how this how this ends up. But uh, uh, number two, um, how can we distinguish between? And they say can networks, but I'm going to add something in here. How can we distinguish between different can networks using a diagram? And I think a question for for everybody was how do we distinguish between different networks in general when we're looking at a wiring diagram because obviously we're going to have more than just can networks you could have multiple can networks on a vehicle you do on a lot of them but you also have lin bus and other single wire networks on a vehicle if if we're just looking at a diagram how do we distinguish that what is on this network and what is on that network I see Matt thinking. My my knee jerk reaction is the diagram usually says. Yep. So that's. I mean, I'm not not trying to sound like I'm oversimplifying it, but offhand, other than maybe some poorly redrawn Asian Euro vehicles, this OE and uh, most schematics call out what network. Um, we're discussing or, or you're looking at and then a lot of times you can look up specific networks so uh, I'm probably thinking mainly our aftermarket resources of information Mitchell all data um, mm-hmm. that type of thing you can go to your diagrams and then network and then sometimes you'll choose uh, which network or it will show the whole thing and then kind of call it out. Like this is going to be Lynn. This is, um, sill can, you know, high speed can B can, you know, all the different labels, GM land, whatever, whatever number, whatever name you want to come up with. Uh, the, some of those networks like Lynn or sill might not be so much like vehicle wide, they're usually something very specific to a component to a module. And it's for lack of a better word off the top of my head, isolated to that. So maybe some throttle bodies use a sill bus going or sent going to a control module. And it's very dedicated. It does not go anywhere throughout the vehicle, except for that 
you know, stretch of wires between the two. And I, I'm worried that that answer is overly simplified. No, I mean, I was, was going to say I would simplify it even more. I mean, the it, especially if you are not experienced with uh, network communication, it's I kind of boil it down to is it a two wire network or a one wire network? And where do the wires go? Right. And then and, and the wiring diagram or the network topology wiring diagram, eh, which also needs the actual wiring diagram. But, you know, that that spells it out for you. This particular uh, components are on ascent. These are on uh, LIN bus. These are on uh, high speed can. These are on medium speed can. But you when you see it on a piece of paper laid out, then then, you know, and it's it, it in most cases network diagnosis in my experience is not that tough if you can look at what matt was talking about and see it on a, a piece of paper um I, I i heard the podcast you had earlier um about uh, scan tools and matt had made the comment about the topology screen on ytech too about it we wish everyone did it that way I, I have said that for a long time too. That is that is beautiful because that, granted, it is not a wiring diagram, but it spells out everything for you. Um, other manufacturers are following suit. The the Mutt Three for uh, Mitsubishi has done it for a while. Um, Ford, I think, is getting on board with that too. Um, even without the SP, uh, the, their their extra subscription um, and the Autel Nine Hundred Nine that I have is doing it on uh, like ISTA uh, for BMWs. And it's, it's doing, even on GMs where the GM factory tool doesn't do that topology screen, you can go and, and see that topology and then network layout and that visual. Because if you think about it, we're all visual people. You can explain to me how a differential works, but until you get one in your hands and you take it apart and put it back together, you really don't know same thing with network topology. If, when it's on the screen, color-coded the same way Tech do does it, it's beautiful, right? And it's not, it's not tough. It's a, it's a simple, and now we have tools that do it. So again, Tech 2 is awesome. Hopefully everyone follows suit. Sorry, I got on my tangent again. No, absolutely. Um... Like you guys have both said, honestly, I can't recall. I was thinking about this last night going through the questions. I can't recall the last time I ran through uh, information bus is what all, all data calls it or network online diagram, whatever it may be referenced to in your service info. I can't remember the last time where I saw one that was not labeled with whatever, you know, the OEM designation for that network may be. Uh, that being said, and I'm sure we're going to jump into it with some of these other CAN questions, there are low-speed CAN has certain layouts, star patterns, everything else that you could look at if you ran into that situation. Um, but really, I honestly, I cannot remember, and I, I went through about 30 different vehicles last night just trying to look, and I went through Motologic, Identifix, All Data, and ProDemand. I did not find a single vehicle that did not label the networks accordingly 
And for every single one, you were actually able to, as Matt was saying, find more information as to what is on a Ford medium speed can versus a high speed can. Um, I will say, once again, going back to network topology, certain networks are designed a certain way. If you see a head unit and speakers and convenience features, they're generally not going to be a high-speed can. Um, if high-speed can is generally safety critical or emissions critical network modules, um, more convenience features, they're running, a lot of them are running most now. Um, we'll get into that. But yeah, you can, as you develop a little more understanding in it, begin to see what modules are on a network and kind of be able to lay out this is here, this is here, these are separated. And that will also lead us into our gateway module discussion that'll be coming up, I'm sure. Chris, you meant, you mentioned something and I feel obligated to mention this mm -hmm. because I don't want it to be left out. Um, when, when looking up wiring diagrams in regardless of which source, all data, uh, pro demand, um, whatever the case, um, listeners should know that when we're dealing with a with a network or potential network issue, there's a separate section for those wiring diagrams. Correct. So in in yep. pro demand, it, I think it's called. Uh, uh, I can look it up right now. Computer uh, data lines is what they computer call it. Computer data lines, lines, right? Yep. And then uh, um, uh, all data calls it something else. But, Information uh, boss. And and correct. And there are so many wiring diagrams on modern vehicles if we're dealing with um a communication issue and we want those there is a way like we just said to to find just those communication wires because otherwise oh a, a technician is going to you know pull their hair out looking up you know 500 pages of wiring diagrams um the 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 service providers have done a uh a pretty good job of breaking that down to, you know, here's the communication wires, right? I just wanted to make sure that was clear for the, for the audience really, uh, because if you had to look up, you know, the ABS module and the powertrain control module and the cabin compartment node and the, you know, blah, 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 to find all those wires, that would, that would be way time consuming. So thank you to the uh, service providers for, doing that whether it's oe or aftermarket you know and that, I, that's where you have to go and i will tag on to that just as a reminder because i think pretty much everybody has gotten burned by incorrect aftermarket or oe wiring diagrams 95 to 98 percent of the time it's right but if something isn't jiving stop and think about it I mean, OE, even network diagrams. Network diagrams, I find, are generally the closest to being accurate all the time, but things are left out. So just, just keep that in the back of your mind as well. Yeah. And Connectors. Yep. I got burned on a, almost burned on a Toyota not that long ago where uh, even factory SI left out an interconnect on it. So Redundant sources are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, checking the factory and the redrawn 
it's it's not a bad idea. And certain manufacturers, boy, it is nice to have a redrawn diag- your whole network on one or two pages, as opposed to like you were saying, you know, four, four or five, six, even more pages to try to get the whole uh, network figured out. Uh, I know, like yeah. for instance, GM, they do a really good job of laying out their networks individually. Just here, here is the CAN bus network. Here is the LIN bus network. Here's all the, the modules. Um, one of the things that I think is identifying which network is which, I think like we've mentioned, it's, it's not too difficult. The difficult part to this for me, and this kind of goes beyond their question, but it's identifying which modules are actually present on a given network um, on a single vehicle. And again, that depends on the the manufacturer and how they label their diagrams, but that can be really challenging for me just to figure out what is supposed to be, or what is actually on this car and what is on the diagram. Yeah. Sometimes you got to use a combination of um, codes, you know, are you wondering if it has this module, but there's no other module setting code saying it can't see it. You know, mm-hmm. it's either not supposed to have it or it has it and it's fine. Right. Correct. And I, I was just not to keep, you know, where we're always just kind of one up in each other. I don't, I don't want to do that at all, mm-hmm. but we're talking about the redrawn diagrams and it, you know, just word of caution, right? If there's potential to be a mistake, it would be on the redrawn more than anything. And they're easy on the eyes. They really are. They're uniform. You get used to them. You get comfortable with them but it opens up more possibility of when they're redrawn that there's a mistake. And, you know, you see it big time on like DIN diagrams. Nobody likes looking at DIN diagrams. And yet mm-hmm. a lot of times you're going to find out the redrawns are inaccurate. Uh, exactly. Like Chris was pointing out, you go to the DIN and you fight through, you know, retrain yourself how to read the DIN and pay the price and it's usually pays back in spades in that now you have this wiring uh, accurate diagram, you know, that takes up 35 different pages, but. Absolutely. Yeah. I got to follow more. If you've read DIN diagrams, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And for for clarification for everyone's listening, you're talking about like Volkswagen Audi. Yeah. I'm almost specifically um, Mm -hmm. they're, they're, Yep. I don't want to say they're the worst because once you're kind of used to them, right. I gravitate more towards them. And it's not like I, cause I think I'm a badass. It's just, you get burned enough on the right. redrawns yep. that, okay, it's not so bad. And especially when the links work on the dins, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's nothing oh. better than that. <laughs> it's a happy day when that happens. Right. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a learning curve too. Yeah. So I could give you an example from um, years ago. You know, I, I got, I used all data for many, many years from the shop I worked at and I hated Mitchell. I hated Mitchell or now it's pro demand or whatever the case. Um, now I have access to both and sometimes I go one, sometimes I go the other, sometimes I go OE. I kind of like having access to all of, all of them mm-hmm. because the Mitchell ones, let's pick on a Volkswagen. The Mitchell ones or on uh, pro demand ones are easy on the eyes, but then you go to the DIN diagrams for Volkswagen. If you don't know how to read them, you're going to go back to the Mitchell diagram, but it yeah. left. What's a J5924? I have no idea yeah. what that is. <laughs> right? Right? Mm-hmm. Acronyms leaving connectors out, things of that nature. So, 
So, I mean, it's uh, again, having multiple resources and, and, and practice. So what, what were you, where were you going on that again? Uh, initially before I really took this I down the you, rabbit you hole. Were talking about, you were well, talking Sean, about, Sean was talking about, you know, you identify the network. It's figuring out which modules are supposed to be there if or not. Yeah. So, I, I was saying that I found it challenging on certain vehicles, especially something with a lot of modules just to, mm-hmm. I think it's more difficult to know which modules are actually equipped on this particular vehicle. And it really depends on the brand, how easy or difficult that's going to be. Um, you know, GP, uh, GM has their RPO codes. That's the one I deal yeah. with a lot. And so um, I try to try to rely on those, but the, the network diagrams, even the GM ones can get difficult to navigate as you're trying to figure out which module exists and which one doesn't on that particular vehicle. So that, that's where I, that's where I struggle a little bit as opposed to figuring out which ones, which networks, which it's, Mm -hmm. which module is actually here and which one's not. (laughs) Especially with uh, a lot of the breakouts where you'll have, you know, option one, option two, depending on the codes. Uh, that can get a little dicey, even if you are familiar with what's on it. Uh, another thing, I've been getting a lot of messages with people who have bought the uh, the Altel Ultra or people who are starting to use uh, YTech, who are just getting used to seeing a network topology laid out, and they're seeing modules that are non-responsive. And they're freaking out, oh, I've got, you know, it's got 35 modules on this topology report, but only six of them reported. and that makes it a little different too. You know, we're, we're reaching a new level in aftermarket tooling where we're seeing things we're not used to. And once again, we're jumping into, does it have this module? Does it not? Um, as Matt said, we're looking for a great indicator is what other modules are tattletailing or not tattletailing on that module. Now, personally, I don't do a lot of uh, European work. But I have been told many times that uh, certain European manufacturers, if a module is non-responsive long enough, the rest of the network can actually code it out and it stops looking for it. So that's, that's another wrench in the works. I mean, that's, and that comes down to service info, experience, and maybe a little bit of common sense, you know. If you run a full code scan and nothing is tattling on the infotainment unit not being on the network but you have no comms with the infotainment unit and you got that big 10 12 inch screen with the nav and all you should still be looking at it so it's there's no hard and fast rule like there's really no hard and fast rule for anything in this industry but you know looking at what you have looking at the options you've got a to use gm you've got a high country or a denali pickup you're probably going to have a lot more modules than your, your, well, your, than your work truck edition. And you can kind of piece together some of the things and familiarity with the vehicles. Chris, you made a very valid point. And it probably pertains to a lot of the questions that, uh, that have been sent out. Um, do a full module scan. And, mm-hmm. and some, of it is com- some of it is common sense, right? So if, if you've got no communication with a NAV unit and you can see there's nav on the dash. <laughs> yeah, it, it, easy enough to tell. And tattletales, I think, is how you were referring to it. We got no communication with the BCM code store to use something in multiple modules. 
then yeah, you, you know it's an equipped module. Maybe BCM was the wrong module to choose, okay? Uh, maybe object detection or something of that nature, right? Uh, maybe it's equipped, maybe it's not. If we got multiple modules sending communication codes with that module and it doesn't show up on the full module scan, again, I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm, I'm not even doing that much body shop work, but I'm doing full module scans as soon as I plug into that car because, you know, there are so many interrelated things and some common sense, you know, hey, if I got no communication with the ABS module, it's grayed out on the topology screen, no matter what car it is, no matter what scan tool it is. And I look under the hood and go, oh, it's got ABS, right? There, there's an issue. I mean, it's sometimes it's not tough. So yeah, do the full module scan and use some common sense. So and, I totally agree with what you were saying, Chris. And think maybe what else addresses it is uh, a lot of times if you go to factory info, sometimes it's worth plunking down the $20 or, you know, $40, whatever it is, I guess the dollar amount doesn't matter for 24, 72 hour access, whatever that may be. And they'll have a VIN inquiry where you can paste the VIN in and search and it will give you kind of the, the load out of what that vehicle came with. GM might be all the RPOs, but you know, Toyota will list off everything that's in there. Um, all, all of them, I shouldn't even point out specifically. There usually tells you what it came equipped with that will help. And then um, another way uh, I've found I gravitate to more and more is if your shop management system uh, or, or I shouldn't even say shop management system. If you have access to something called repair link where you order parts from the dealers, mm -hmm. you can, uh, when you're looking at parts, you put the VIN in there and then there's a little tab called VIN attributes and you click on that guy. And a lot of times that will give you that same uh, loadout, if that's even the right term to use, what, what the car came equipped with. I use and that for GM RPO codes all the time. That, comes in handy. Repair link shop. And yeah, you just put the VIN in there and then you can do control F on the keyboard and then just type in your RPO codes and see if it pops up on that VIN. I mean, it's super yeah. handy for that sort of stuff. And it might be, you know, you want, you need to know gear ratios, uh, stuff like that will be in there. But most specifically, like to your question is, did it come, you know, with this, you know, does it have blind spot monitoring and whatever tool we're using, we, we can't make heads or tails on if it has it or not. Not that that's even a realistic scenario, but just for something to yeah. use as an example, you pull that up and, oh, it came equipped with this. It's got blind spot monitoring and now I have no comms with either one. And for some reason, no codes. Maybe it's the scenario like Chris is talking about where they haven't talked for a long time. You know, the car is in the rust belt. You know, some <laughs> connector got uh, corroded and they ignored the warnings long enough that it basically said, well, forget you. You're, we don't have blind spot monitoring anymore. Yeah. You know, and you end up recoding the module so that it's looking and then you get the codes and whatever. I mean, And I will throw in real quick here just for the chance that you got some uh, heavy-duty off-road listeners uh, who aren't understanding what we're talking about. Caterpillar has a system. You'll have an engine serial number and you'll have a core arrangement number as well as an arrangement number, which basically states each one of those is a VIN number 
your core arrangement number would be your base package, a Silverado pickup, a um, BMW 3 Series, whatever. And then your arrangement number gives you everything for that specific engine or machine down to which pistons, which connecting rods, which whatever is in it. And it's actually one of the few things off-road and uh, heavy duty is above automotive on is I can go with a specific engine or machine and just by running those numbers, it'll the factory service info will actually completely kick out anything unrelated to it. It it is no longer even available in service info, and that's not really something I've seen on the automotive side yet. But yeah, well, we have wire colors. You just have white with numbers. So uh, uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've worked on that. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I did fire trucks. They were the biggest nightmare. Oh, I bet. Yeah, try try a military vehicle that has mm-hmm. uh, um, all colored wires that are probably white, but then they're painted green and they have little tags <laughs> yep. clamped over them, and they're painted green, so you can't read anything. That was that was the first you know few years of my career. <laughs> How come God. you couldn't find that broken wire? It was camouflaged. Come on, yeah, right? I can't see it. But if you think about it, think about some of the, uh, for lack of a better term, the reverse engineering skills you built. Yeah, you had a schematic. Yeah, you had the vehicle. You had symptoms. They didn't always match up. You still had to figure it out, and you developed techniques and thought processes that allowed you to get through it. Right. I I agree. I I think you started. That's probably one of the reasons where I I am where I am now, because I, I, in, in the Army, I learned backwards. You know, you just bought I a like parts cannon. What was that, Matt? I missed that. Sorry. That was Chris. I didn't say anything. Oh, I said, yeah. Something about a parts cannon, but I know you would never. So. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> we're, all, we're all young. Maybe it happens, right? But, well, it's, you know, I mean, military, camouflage, parts cannon, it all works. Well, yeah, well, uh, we're not getting into dad jokes, are we? <laughs> All right, I'll leave. I'll leave dad jokes alone. <laughs> my my kids, my kids complain enough about my dad jokes. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I think we uh, definitely covered that one pretty well. Uh, let's let's move on to number three. Um, this this is listener be longer asked, than Shark Week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see where we're at after this oh, one. Shark Week. I gotta go. Sorry. <laughs> Just joking. Um. <laughs> How can we tell which module is the gateway? Um, is this a standalone module or is it part of another module? Loaded question. Yeah. It depends. Like part of me wants to say yes. Yeah, it, it really depends no. on the vehicle. Um, some some gateway modules are quite literally built into your DLC connector, your OBD2 port. It is all one piece. Um, others are located elsewhere in the vehicle. Generally, the easiest way to tell, which jumps back to our distinguishing different networks, if you've got more than one network type going into that module, that's going to be your gateway. Um, the gateway, it can be a confusing term. I call it a translator. If you see multiple modules, I think of it as multiple languages, or I'm sorry, not multiple modules, multiple networks. I treat them as different languages. 
I completely agree with that statement. Uh, when I was teaching college students, I would I would uh, say the same thing. Um, let's pretend that high speed can is Spanish or German or it, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the topology or the diagram, and let's just pretend the totally integrated power module is is the module that is talking on English in one uh, line of communication and Spanish in another, if they both connect to that module, it's a pretty safe bet, not always, but it's a pretty safe bet that that guy's the gateway. And so I completely agree with the way you described that, Chris. It was a good job answering that question. I was gonna say that, that I mean, that one is fairly straightforward. I did do a little research and uh, just to pull off a of Ford, Real quick here, uh, gateway module acts as a central gateway to translate messages across all vehicle controller area networks and vice versa. Gateway module is the only module on this vehicle with this ability. It also serves as a termination module for each network to which it's connected. Now that happens to be what I look up, uh, 29, uh, 2019 F350 I had in the bay. So that that's not to jump off into my love for service info, but that tiny little sentence there acts as a termination module for each network that it's connected to uh, diagnosing network comm issues. If we've got comm issues on multiple networks and we've got a gateway module in there, well, now we know we have termination resistors for each of them within that gateway module that may help direct our diagnosis one way or another. So just to throw a little extra info in there. but right. um, The one thing I would add is uh, going back to, we mentioned the diagnostic can earlier where you're just linked between the DLC and a module and it is a diagnostic can, whatever module that connects to, that pretty much has to be your mm -hmm. gateway as far as I'm concerned. So if you have that on your car, if, if you're working on a vehicle, uh, you know, I can think of a Volkswagen I was on recently or uh, older Chrysler and your diet, you have a diagnostic can connected to that DLC, that, that's your gateway for sure. And again, you need a network mm -hmm. uh, diagram to know that, but uh, that you could be pretty confident that that is your communication hubs for any other network on the vehicle. That just illustrates yeah. the importance of the topology diagram. Oh yeah. For, for actually the question we're dealing with now and the question from before, the topology diagram is, you need it, right? To answer any of these questions. The next question that's coming up, we're probably gonna um, have to deal with that as well. Yep. And I will throw in one tiny other little piece, uh, 2019 Durango. All right. Uh, Chrysler specifically calls out the fact that the security gateway module is a frame gateway. Uh, we'll discuss frames. Actually, nobody else is going to be able to see this, but Sean's got uh, can frames in his background right now. Uh, we'll, we'll be discussing, but it's a frame gateway, not a signal gateway. And that's something that will vary a little bit across manufacturers. A frame gateway is basically a communication module or a translation module that takes network messages or how I like to refer to them, indirect inputs, and sends them across the vehicle. Some vehicles do have signal gateway as well, which is you'll take a direct input from 
this is going to be factually incorrect, but a park neutral switch and send it to one module and then it will send a direct hardwire 012 volt for lack of a better description to multiple other modules. So that, that plays into your network diagnostics as well. I mean, unfortunately it's not as cut as dry as we would like it to be at times, but, and it's Chrysler. So not even to get into the whole Stellantis merger. <laughs> All right. Uh, we want to do one more. We're at an hour here. Keep I'm up till three, four o'clock in the morning anyway, so I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, number four. Uh, this was asked by uh, some guy named Matt Skundrich. Uh, what's the difference? He'll take between... questions from anybody. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> what's, what's the difference between CAN FD HS, uh, which is a high speed MS, medium speed, and just regular old CAN? in reference to the protocol and how does it affect us as technicians? Do you guys mind if I hop in real quick? He's setting us up. No, Um, yeah, jump all over. One. You you raised your hand. I got a simple answer, but you raised your hand first. first. In all honesty, the differences between them, it doesn't. In 99.9% of cases, the difference in baud rate, um, bit mapping, um, your verification fields, everything else, it really doesn't matter. Do you, as a technician, and I'm, I'm asking all you with more experience than me, have you ever come down to something where you're concerned about 125 kilobits per second versus a 500 or one megabit per second communication rate? I, I, I care haven't. about the physical layer, and yeah. um, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing I can think of with that question specifically with CANFD, depending on your scan tool and the only scan tool offhand I can think of is um, Autel uh, pre-ultra series is you need a special adapter mm-hmm. to communicate with CANFD. Yes. Um, other than that, I think at least with CAN, the physical layer mm-hmm. is the same one and a half, two and a half, two and a half, three and a half volts. Yes. For, yeah. for the most part. So if you go through the SAE and ISO standards on CAN and everything else, and just because I can't remember everything, I'm just going to throw some of these. High-speed CAN would be ISO 1189-2. Uh, Low-speed CAN would be 11898-3. Basically, same physical layer, the same stuff we're looking at at the scope. Uh, CAN FD, really the only thing there is as matt said certain tools can't utilize that the reason behind that though is can fd switches between low speed and high speed data transfer as needed based off of network yeah that's probably data that's Mm -hmm. that's a good thing you said that it's not ford or anything um you know nothing like flex ray it's It's flex flexible data so just like Chris said there. Yeah, it's uh, if I recall correctly, it's uh, KNFD can actually run up to five times the maximum speed of a typical high speed CAN bus. So it's five megabits per second. In all honesty, most high speed CAN networks don't even run close to one megabit per second. Um, and that's that's going off into the weeds. There is some different network architecture as far as the 
data messages, you can pack more data into a single packet on CAN FD yep. than you can on CAN high speed. Yep. Um, but really, unless you're getting into some in-depth uh, network decoding, which I've run into two instances in my entire career that I needed to decode CAN messages, and I was working for a dealer, and the factory did it for me. Um, you, you can get off on the weeds in that. Technically, low-speed CAN, depending on where you read, if you read the SAE or ISO standards, does not use your typical termination. Um, I actually wrote this down because I did not realize this. The overall termination resistance should be close to, but not less than 100 ohms, which is a little bit different than the 120 ohms we're used to seeing. So flex ray is 100 ohms. This would be for low speed can. I'm sorry. Okay, so flex ray is also 100 ohms, just in case you didn't know. Really? No, no, I, I didn't realize that. So yeah, so it's small differences, but honestly, I can't recall a single time other than my own interest where getting that in depth into it really made a huge bit of difference. Okay, so uh, from... From the average technician's diagnostic standpoint, okay, you, you use the term going to the weeds a little bit. And don't get me wrong, I'm extremely interested. I'm sure Matt is as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we have some information here. But when, when we're diagnosing as an average technician, to me, what's the important part? What are the voltages supposed to be? Mm -hmm. if, we're, if we're looking at a scope capture, right? What are the voltages supposed to be? Is communication happening? So... Some of the details that we're getting into, although they're great to know, they're not really. Uh, the question was, um, what's the difference between CAN, uh, FD, HS CAN, and MS CAN? And CAN, if I'm reading that correctly, Sean, if I, if mm -hmm. I read the wrong question, I apologize. Um, when it comes down to diagnosis, is if, if they're probably all supposed to be CAN high, two and a half to three and a half volts, CAN low, two and a half to one and a half volts and relatively square waves cancel each other out. We can measure that on a scope, eh, not so good with a meter, but we can measure that with a scope, even if it's one channel at a time with a U-scope. Doesn't matter, we can, we can measure it because most of the time we're not decoding, right? We right. just need to know the, the scan tool first, can we communicate with this module or this network? Can we see a good signal? And if you know the voltages, I don't care if it's what PT can on a BMW or normal can on a Ford, high speed can on a Ford, they're pretty much going to look the same. And I'm really, as far as diagnostically on your everyday failure, I'm not concerned about the, the baud rate, how fast they're talking or what they're even saying. Right. I just want to know, and, is the signal there and can I talk to it with a, with, with a scan tool? So, I hate to cut that conversation short. I really didn't mean that yeah. because it's all valuable information. But you know what? What are the what are the key points? Do we have oh, good yeah. square waves and the correct voltage? And can we talk to the modules of the scan tool? I think those are the three three real points. And I'm sorry, Chris, but you said it. Yeah. We we were kind of going off into the weeds, which no, I'm I'm good with going off into the weeds. No, mea, uh, mea culpa there. And uh, I wanted to add with what you were saying, actually, the U-scope was the perfect example. 
I will go off into the weeds with anything. But when I do that, I also learn that at the end of the day, what does any electronic control unit look at with the CAN? They don't even look at CAN high and CAN low as separate signals. They run a differential where the U-scope is perfect for that. One lead on CAN high, the we'll say the positive lead on CAN high, negative lead on CAN low, you are now monitoring the exact same signal that the PCM is interpreting to make that communication because um, electronic throttle body GMs, if anybody's ever scoped to one of those CAN buses while they're running, you would swear to God that was junk. And you have a serious issue until you run that differential channel using a single channel of the scope and you're seeing exactly what the PCM is, which goes back to you're not getting lost in the weeds. Can we communicate? What's our, what's our network look like? What's our high-low voltages? And honestly, the easiest way is to use a single scope channel to look at that. Now, if your voltages are off, you delve deeper. But most times, you don't need to go that far. It's fun, it's fun to talk about it, but at the end of the day, what's going to get the job done the most efficiently, the quickest way, and makes money for you where it also saves the customer spending excess money. Speaking of simple tests, if you don't, we're going on too long, but speaking of simple tests, what do you guys think about measuring termination resistance at the data link connector? No. I honestly, I've never solved a network comms issue with that. And one of the upsides of working on uh, off-road heavy-duty equipment and even some uh, domestic and even a couple Asian vehicles, you can remove network termination. Uh, a lot of ours were actually just Deutsch uh, connectors, Metropack connectors. You can unplug a 120-ohm resistor. I, I had skid steers and combines running for six months, a year, missing an entire termination resistor. And I'd throw a comms code maybe once every couple months at that. Yeah, you can also have shorted bus wires, depending on the bus topology is laid out, which mm -hmm. will not show up with that test. Um, to, to me, that test is, it's kind of like an ohmmeter. And I know I'm looking at Matt right now on the screen. I know he's going to agree with me about uh, uh, he's got uh, a big how, smirk. how crappy an ohmmeter measurement is. Like if we were to measure the resistance of a fuel injector, that test is worthless. Mm -hmm. Load it, run current through it. Yeah, so it's, it's pointless. When when you measure certain things, depending on how it's laid out, no, it's it's... It's, it's not right. You can have shorts, you can have opens, and that test will pass. And you Someone's cannot go to pin 6 and 14 of the data link connector, read, you know, 60 ohms, and say that network's good. That is that is BS, right? It, it's, it doesn't mean it's good. It's like a it battery, was, battery oh, conductance. A it's almost like a battery conductance test where if it fails, it's probably bad. <laughs> if it passes... It might still be bad. You got to load test it. Well, the one thing I'd I add like there, you had no definite answer there. It's probably bad, or it's. <laughs> and let's let's throw that in with the diagnostic can that uh, Sean was talking talk, uh, talking about earlier. What's the network resistance in a security gateway module or on a diagnostic can network that is separating the DLC from the rest of the network? I've seen four or five different numbers depending on OEM and year, 
So the old network resistance test at the DLC is even more inaccurate than it was before because now you have these gateway modules thrown in there. Well, and, and that's so a great point, Chris, uh, that if, yeah, if you have a diagnostic can or whatever it is, the important thing, even if you're going to consider doing that test, because I mean, in all honesty, that test doesn't cost you much time. You hook up a couple of pins and you read a number and it says 60. Cool. Okay, cool. Um, that, that resistance is correct. Um, you need to know the network configuration before you even take that at any value. If it has diagnostic can doesn't mean anything. Now, here's the thing on a general motors vehicle, I think that test means more to me than it would on, let's say, a Ford or a Chrysler um, because of the way that they connect their modules together, where if you have a ABS module, for instance, that is not plugged in all the way, you'll lose all of the modules downstream from that ABS module because the way they daisy chain their network through each one. This sounds made up. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's never happened before um so so if you know the network configuration there's a potential that test could mean something something to you now does it mean the network's good or bad no i i 100 agree with you there scott um but you know you could use it as something you know to guide you towards uh if you know the network but that's the key i didn't mean to say that test was worthless I, I meant to say it had it has some value if you understand, especially the network topology, which you pointed out, right? What are we actually measuring? And there are opportunities for a short to ground, even in the case that you're talking about. Let's pretend I had a GM that had a module, a body control module. I'm going to daisy chain these. Body control module, powertrain control module, trans control module. And let's pretend the termination resistor is in the trans control module, right? If if the wire between the PCM and the TCM, one of the wires, can higher, can low, is shorted to ground, that would take the whole network out, right? Yep. However, if we measured resistance at the data link connector, we would still read 60 ohms. It would, it would still pass that resistance test, even though the bus was shorted to ground. That, and so that would be a, an extreme example. It's all these pieces we're putting together. That's what, you know, you're very experienced at doing this sort of thing. So when you do that test, that variable pops up into your mind. And that's the advantage you have for doing this for so long. And I think it's what everybody strives to is to be able to do a test and then pop up all these other variables to say, well, what if this is the case? What does this result mean? I think that's what we all need to work for is really considering what are the potentials for the result of this test that I got? And if you really start considering those different things, uh, well, you could get into the weeds, which I've done plenty of times, but (laughs) it might save you from making the wrong call too. Yeah, it's the fine line between uh, paralysis by analysis and being able to make a valid judgment call. And just because I like stirring things up a little bit, I'm going to throw out a a little term here, um, switchable CAN bus termination. I made a video on this a while ago. It's something that's starting to see its way into certain industries. Modules that can turn on and off a termination resistor located within it based off of network topology, say 
we build the exact same Chevy truck wire harness from the work truck up to the Denali, right? We're adding modules. We're changing our topology. Our termination needs to go in certain places depending on the module topology, how the network's laid out. But also, a module starts to fail, it can then switch itself off. So now we've got some 20, uh, I believe late 2021, early 2022 are going to be some of the first vehicles that will be running into this being an OEM standardized use. But now you've got modules that can turn on and off network termination resistance. That's, that's yet another thing. In the future, we're going to be looking at where that old 60 ohms at the DLC is, is going to be even more up in the air. And like I said, I just like stirring the pot a little bit and no, making like, people that's research. A, that's what a scope's for. Ah, you don't need a scope. I've got three different sizes of hammers. I've got two different <laughs> torches. And I've got a bunch of butt connectors. So I can fix anything. Scotch locks. I oh, I was scotch just going to say, I got to show them scotch locks. <laughs> Whoa, no, 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 no. If I'm going to be using a scotch lock, I'm going to a marine grade wire nut. I mean, that's just, that's the professional way to do it. All right. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot of information covered there and just editing this section of the podcast. I picked up tips going through it the second time over. There's so much good information there as far as approaching network problems and network diagnostics. So I hope you enjoyed that. But Keep in mind, that is only the first half of this discussion, and we covered most of the questions in this portion here. Um, there is a whole other half to this because uh, we went on for quite a while, and the second half is more just sort of casual conversation, automotive-related, of course, but less about our specific questions and more about uh, general things in the industry. So I'm going to release that as a second part on Monday so you can check that out. Hope you enjoyed that and let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.